You can do Nayania Baria, Nayania Manania Manania. You can do Nayania Baria, Nayania Manania Manania. From the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council, this is the A Cup and a Yarn podcast. Yama, and welcome to A Cuppa and a Yarn, brought to you by the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council. I'm Michelle Alexandrovics Lovegrove. Thanks for listening in. I hope you're enjoying our podcasts, where we speak with inspiring Aboriginal people about their lives, their memories, what inspires them, and what's important to them. Our guest this week is a young woman from a strong Wiradjuri family who's intent on making her mark in Western Sydney and beyond. Renee Thompson is part of New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council's Youth Advisory Committee and recently travelled to Geneva with councillors and other youth committee members to represent at the United Nations Expert Mechanism on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. I hope you enjoy this episode of A Cuppa and a Yarn with Renee Thompson. You can do Renee Thompson, hello. Hi. Welcome to A Cupper and a Yarn. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming here. Now, I understand you had a bit of a nice drive in from Western Sydney this morning. I did, I did. Very, very clear roads, nice weather. It was a really good drive. Now, if we can, I wouldn't mind going back to the start or the, the start of Renee when we, we have these cuppers and yarns is uh, just a little bit about yourself, where you're from and who your mob is. So I understand that uh, you hail from Cowra, is that right? Yep. And you're a very proud Wiradjuri woman. Very proud. So my name is Renee Thompson and I am a proud Wiradjuri woman. I'm 24 years old. I currently live in Western Sydney and I was born in Kingswood. Uh, as you mentioned, so I'm a proud Wiradjuri woman. That's where my matriarchal bloodline stems from. And it's something that I hold very close to my heart. Okay, so when you talk about your, your matriarchal line, I'd be very interested in knowing more about that because I think, uh, you know, a lot of our mob and for people who are uh, non-Indigenous perhaps who, who don't know, um, a Rambi mission mm. and uh, some of the very, very staunch and very active families that, that stem mm. from that area come from Arambi. Now that's the case with your family, isn't it? Yes, it certainly is. Uh, so just a bit of background about me. So my nin was Frances Haroa, also known as Fanny Haroa, but she was a knee wedge. So she was born in Orange, but then spent her childhood and teen years growing up in Cowra, Leeton and Goolagong. Uh, she met her childhood sweetheart in Cowra, which was Lindsay Coe. They then had six kids, which included my Auntie Anne Weldon, my Auntie Bevco, my Auntie Juneco, my Auntie Betsyco, who's no longer with us, my Auntie Lindaco, and also their first child um, who passed away at a young age. Uh, my Nin then moved to Sydney, and actually, funny story, my mum, Cheryl, so my, my Nin's great auntie, my Nin's auntie, so my great auntie, introduced my Nin to my grandfather, Joe Haroa, okay. who was a Pacific Islander man. And then they resettled in Mount Druitt and went on to have five more kids. Wow. Which is my uncle Peter Haroa, who's no longer with us, my mum, Rosarina Docker, my auntie Vicky Thompson, Joe Haroa and David Haroa. So we all stem from Kaura, Arambi Mission, up in the 32 acres up there, but have resettled in Mount Druitt. And then obviously have extended family members across Sydney and central western New South Wales. With the Mount Druitt connection, uh, we were 
having a little discussion, you know, about Mount Druitt, you know, you being so familiar there. So you, you were born and bred there, but you went away for a while and, and, and you've come back. Why's that? I live with Dad out in Mount Druitt. My dad is a white fella. I'm of, I'm actually of English and Irish descent. So one of my great-grandfathers was a commander on a ship and the other one was a convict. Grew up with Dad in the back of Mount Druitt and St Mary's and then was, on, was able to move to the northern beaches with my mother and my stepfather. And then, as you said, I've come back to Mount Druitt because it's a place of belonging and it's, it's, some, it's a place that I held very close to my heart. Really interesting to hear you say that about Mount Druitt and about the the feeling that you have from being there, that sense of belonging. Because we've we got a lot of Koori, Koori mob out there, don't we? Mm, yeah, yeah, a lot. So we make up quite a diverse group within ourselves as black fellas in Mount Druitt. Obviously a lot of families have resettled to Mount Druitt. So we have family from all over. You see Burke, Bree, uh, Walgett, Dubbo up the Donovans from up north, the Stuarts from down south, there's a, there's a very big mob there. Yeah. I don't know the exact figures now, but it has um, always been sort of commonly understood and the, the uh, population figures bear that out, is that, you know, contrary to a lot of popular belief around mainstream Australia, you know, the largest Aboriginal population in the country is in New South Wales. Mm-hmm and the largest Aboriginal population in New South Wales is in Mount Druitt. Correct. Yeah, Mount, Mount Druitt, Blacktown, but particularly yeah. Mount Druitt, I believe. So the Blacktown LGA, so yeah. that covers Blacktown and heads up to Mount Druitt, then obviously sits on the border of Penrith mm. LGA. Mm. Now, with your uh, very sort of strong connections through birth and through choice is just loving Mount Druitt in the area, you're a member of, uh, I've got to, got to say this, you know, we're the Land Rights Network, Durubbin Local Aboriginal Land Council. Yes. And you're on the board. I am. So 24 on the board. That's mm. pretty staunch. Yeah. I suppose um, I joined uh, Durubin Local Aboriginal Land Council, I want to say last year. And then was wow. just, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was very active in the uh, members meetings, mm. went along and just had my say and ensured that my voice was heard and <laughs> you're you're practicing to be an auntie aren't you <laughs> yeah i can see her in 40 years time she'll be there now tell me who are you yeah who's your mom yeah. why do you want to join mm-hmm. <laughs> and i suppose it was just from that experience like just showing my interest in ensuring that you know the next generation can step up and you know they they have someone to hand over that that land rights network space to and i was just jumping up and down saying what are we doing about the youth we want to all be involved and I think that must have struck something with Kevin out there <laughs> Kevin Kavanagh um, and he was very interested in you know giving me the opportunity to have my say on the board and it's something that I truly do enjoy sitting on it's opened my eyes a lot it's um it's made me realize the hard work and the grit that goes into running a lauk and as well as being on the news walk advisory committee having that state having that peak exposure to what happens on the top level and then especially what happens on the bottom level. We'll Mm. most certainly have a a chat about you on Newswalks Youth Advisory Committee um, in the cover and yarn today but uh, just as far as you being on the board are you the youngest member? By far. By far. (laughs) (laughs) So that's all good? Yep love it I think yeah, they, I really feel like my voice is heard out there. They turned to me 
was a bit nervous because after my first meeting I spoke up quite a bit and thought, now I walked out thinking, oh, did I overstep my mark? But nah, they loved it. They yeah. said, we knew that you were going to come and you come from good stock. We weren't expecting you to come and keep your mouth shut. That's why we brought you on. <laughs> yeah. Well, certainly, uh, you know, as far as your family goes and uh, your parents, your aunties, your uncles, your, your, your nin, everybody. Have you got uh, any siblings? I've got three siblings. So I've got an older sister. She is a qualified nurse and she's working in the justice sector. I also have a younger brother who is currently on a scholarship over in America for basketball. Okay. Very impressive. Wow. Very proud of him. Very proud of all of my siblings. And then my younger sister, uh, she is currently sitting her HSC at Pimples Ladies College. Ah, mm. the HSC year. The HSC year. Yeah, so a little bit, uh, bit touch and go with her at the moment, I bet. Mm. Yes, it's very interesting. I, I just try and enforce to her that you can never let a mark define you. It's something that you walk out of them high school gates and no one ever asks you what your ATAR was. As, like I always say to her, if people ask me what my ATAR is, it should have been an asterisk, but I've never let it define me as who I am, especially as an Aboriginal woman, given that mum and nin were denied an, denied an education. It's, it's something that we should hold very deeply. But talking about education, though you, you are studying mm -hmm. as well as working now, you're at Western Sydney University currently deferred but okay same thing yeah same thing yeah. you're still there you're, you're still there so it's a bachelor of health science yep majoring in digital yeah. health so why health um i think to be completely honest and pull everything out um as you spoke earlier my mum was drilling into my head as soon as i finished high school or leading up to the end of my study at my hsc that regardless of what we were going to do, we were going to go study something. She, as yeah. I spoke about, she was denied an education and denied that opportunity to go on and study further. Um, so it was just something that I said, oh, PE teachers are mad. Like, they're out playing sport, they're fit, they're tanned. Like, yeah, I that's, yeah that's, what, that's the first thing that I thought of. So I actually went through the alternative pathways up at Western Sydney University mm -hmm. because my ATAR was just... I'm surprised it wasn't an asterisk, but it got me <laughs> through the door and I sat the exam and... They, you know, they kind of offered, well, what do you want to study? And I thought, health science. Mm. It's not really a, a major background story. I think now, growing up and since, you know, my relevant experience in my work, in my career, I, I can see how much we need to prioritise health, um, how much I will probably try and pursue health at a probably a, a later date. But mm. as of now, it's pretty much just going to be a PE teacher. Mm, mm. Do you want to work? You don't want to work as a PE teacher, though, do you? No. Yeah. No. Okay. So you're currently working at uh, Cox in or Ridgeway, yep. is that right? So get, what are you doing there? Uh, so I'm currently a consultant, part of the team uh, headed up by Aidan Ridgeway, mm -hmm. former Newswalk CEO and Senator, and uh, we work anywhere across policy, strategic advice, research, review, all levels of government, corporates, NGOs, community controlled orgs nationally. How do you find navigating those waters? Because, um, you know, a lot of different people, a lot of different uh, levels of cultural adeptness, I'll say, or not. You know, there's, you'd meet all sorts of people, wouldn't you? Mm. So how do you navigate that? 
Look, to be completely honest, at first it was just I just didn't know how to do it. I couldn't take the step back and really understand and have that empathy towards someone who didn't know, have the cultural knowledge that I had. Um, but it was, I think, sitting down having a yarn with my mum and she kind of said, you know, you're in a position now where it's not about you going out there and not more so judging someone but really going hard at them because they don't know what they have. It's now your time to educate people and to really mm. walk beside mm. them. And so I've kind of taken it as a as an approach where I'm trying to be supportive and just I listen to what they've got to say. I think it's a big curve, but it's understanding what they know and just mm. helping them get to where I think people need to be, but not more so going in and rousing at them or, te- got, you know, being offended that they don't know the things that we know as blackfellas. But it is quite tricky, mm. Um, mm. especially when you run into people of, positions in power and you can see the the lack of cultural knowledge for our people when i was a presenter for aim which mm-hmm. was the australian indigenous mentor experience yes i went out to a school in western sydney i won't name drop them or make them shame but one of the teachers actually come up and so we're there obviously presenting because they have aboriginal and torres Strait islander students mm-hmm. we go out there and we we're presenting a nadoc assembly me my older brother or cousin and yeah, she kind of pulled me aside and said, I just think you're amazing. I've never, I've never ever spoke to an Aboriginal person before. Wow. But she didn't know that she was teaching Koori kids wow. every day. And it, you just take the step back and I just like, I was like, oh, okay, well, do you know all these kids that are sitting here? They're all black. I said, oh, but they don't look bad, black. Like, oh, oh. Yes. And so, and then there's even normal things that, you know, like mm. in some... Word documents, you see that people are going to speak to real Aboriginal people, or I just don't, like, yeah, it doesn't click to me. But how I do manage it is I think the same thing is I go back, you can jump up and down and you know, go off your head, but get you nowhere, you just end up being that angry black person in the office that mm. everyone steps on eggshells around. So if you can find that balance, where I think that's what I'm really learning now. One of my good mates said to me, Renee, you're going to have a real issue with being true to who you are but then also playing that game so you, you have to walk the line you have to be able to you know really be able to control your emotions and what's been instilled in you for so long so you don't push people away because your emotions get the best of you but it's something that I'm still trying to learn and it's not an easy task I think I was talking to a lady this morning about it you know seeing still looking into my mum's eyes I can still see the pain so it's not something that I, I take lightly, but I'm probably a bit more aware of keeping my emotions intact. Yeah. It's hard. It's very hard. This is A Cup and a Yarn. I'm Michelle Alexandrovic Lovegrove, and I'm speaking with Renee Thompson. Land Council members, are your contact details up to date? Have you moved home recently? Got a new post office box? Are you even sure that your address, your phone number, maybe your email address has been entered into the member's registry correctly? Well, there's only one way to be certain and now's the best time to do it. The Newswalk election is coming up soon on November 30. So having your contact details up to date has never been more important. Contact your lab today. It might just save you a lot of hassle tomorrow. You have actually sort of set up a whole 
uh, a leadership network in Western Sydney. Can we talk a little bit about that, about what you're doing with that? So you, you're calling it, it's called the Western Sydney Aboriginal Youth Leadership Network. Quite a mouthful. <laughs> yes, it is, but it's good, it works, it flows. Yeah. Um, so how that come about, Michelle, was I am part of a lot of community boards or committees within Western Sydney uh, in partnership with Aboriginal Affairs and then sit on the board for Durban. I also am a board member out there. So I sit on I sit on a few things in partnership with Aboriginal Affairs, the Land Council, then other orgs within my community. And I just took a step back one day and I realised that I was the only young fella sitting at that table. And I and it just it just became so apparent to me that, you know, we need to step up as young people. If we do not step up and carry that baton, there's going to be nothing to carry no more. And it's not that I found that um, you know, the opportunities weren't there, but our young fellas, they didn't, we don't have the, the confidence or the skills to step up and go and sit at those conversations because we've always been told, you know, when elders speak, you listen, you don't talk, you yeah. don't sit at the table. Well, I know that for myself growing up, we were never allowed to sit at the table with when my aunties spoke and my uncle spoke. But so I wanted to really come together and create a space where us as young black fellas of Western Sydney could come, we could speak about, celebrate who we are as black fellas, what what we've accomplished in our lives or in our current careers, and then speak about the real issues that we face as young Aboriginal people and then how we're going to, kind of str- strategically, how we're going to approach them issues and overcome them issues, not mm-hmm. just for us, but for our future grandchildren and kids' kids. So... It's a great initiative. Um, I've taken it up with my colleague, Will Trulin. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really been a very big support. He stands beside me on the project and we've had three meetings and we've had really good attraction from black fellas in Western Sydney. So it's just a, I don't know, it's kind of a youth-led initiative. We, we're self-funded, we're self-governed, we um, have no funding, we come together. We made curry sausages and curry chicken last week for dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just come together and yarn and speak about what we want, what, what decisions are being made on behalf of us and for us, but not with us. And that's the issue that I think has happened for far too long, especially mm-hmm. for our people. Mm-hmm. So if we can change that narrative and rewrite what the decisions that are being made with our, with our advice or our insight, um, I think we could create a greater future for our, for our people. And that's, that's the goal. So with three meetings down, mm. are you a- at the point of sort of unpacking? Well, clearly there, there would have been a lot of issues sort of come up straight away, but there's a difference between saying, you know, I've got these issues, I've got these problems, and then, okay, so what needs to be done? What can we do? What what are our goals? So where are you at sort of in that <coughs> process? So I think we could fairly say that we're very much still in the inception stages we haven't really knuckled down for we've had a few sessions about you know jotting down what our core goals are what will be our pillars how we're going to get there mm-hmm. but we actually have a session next month with kpmg yep they've actually said that we can come into their office and do a you collaborate session which a lot of big companies go and do so hopefully from that session we'll be able to say this is what we want to do essentially we wanted it to be a voice we want to we want to be a voice on behalf of who we are but yeah it's all very far we just want to make sure that we get the foundations of it correct well absolutely and that does take time and you've got to get to know each other as well yeah you know i think that's really important that uh 
you you have a really good solid understanding of each other so when because we all you know we all have dips I mean life is up and down and stuff and so that then when those downs happen as they inevitably will mm. you can all support each other so the work continues yeah. we've also got a bit of uh, a lot of support from just reinvest as well mm-hmm. so we're actually in the running for some funding so a little competition going on <laughs> so hopefully we secure that funding but yeah it's all good yeah good stuff Thanks for listening to the all-new Cupper and a Yarn podcast brought to you by the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council. We love being able to bring you the inspirational stories and tales of all the brilliant people making such a key contribution to Aboriginal affairs right across this great state of ours. There's lots more to come. We'd hate for you to miss out, so hit subscribe and be sure to tell your mob. Now, back to today's yarn. This is a Cupper and a Yarn. I'm speaking with Renee Thompson. I'm Michelle Alexandrovitz Lovegrove. Just popping the, the network to the side for a moment, because, but I think this is really, really great, uh, is that you, as an Aboriginal woman, are looking at focusing on and harnessing the, the talents and the abilities and the camaraderie of, of young Aboriginal people in your area. New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council, of course, is only of late-ish, uh, established our Newswalk Advisory Committee, of which you are a member. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to say, you know, congratulations belatedly. But yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, Dodda. We've just had a, a wonderful another cuppa delivered to the table here so that we can continue having our yarn, because you've got to have a cuppa with your yarn. Mm. We cast out around the nine uh, regions. Uh, you applied for Sydney-Newcastle region. Obviously, you were successful, etc. What was it that prompted you to want to be a part of a youth advisory committee for Land Council? What prompted me to want to be part of the Newswalk um, Youth Council was that I feel like Newswalk's been a part of my life, a part of my DNA before I was even thought of. I think I think about, you know, what Newswalk's role has played within my family's lives and coming from such a political and staunch family. Mm. They've all been very strong within the land rights space. Um, not only my mum, but also my aunties and extended family members. And it's something that I always wanted to be involved in. I always wanted to have some sort of connection to Newswalk. I just didn't know when that would be or what capacity that would be in. So when I seen that EOI's out for yeah. Yeah. the youth committee, I thought that is my opportunity to kind of run and try and really tackle that challenge because it's something... It's something that I haven't put much thought into prior to my time with Durban, but it's something that I've always been interested in. As you say, it's sort of part of your DNA, but, um, and what you mentioned uh, a little while back as well is about young people stepping up. I'm walking, I need to start jogging so I can run. You raise a very good point. That's what, something I put in my application is that our people fought so hard to get to where we are now and if we don't step up as youth and carry that baton and continue that work it's all done for nothing and I think it's about really uh, amplifying what has happened and what we need to do to move forward to make sure that we still have a voice. When I was uh, reading about you know some of you some of the things that you wanted to bring to the fore uh, being on the committee that voice for young Aboriginal people was pretty high up on the list for you. What do you want your voice to say? My voice along with 
or Others. the others, yeah. all of our voices. I think we need to really gather ourselves um, as young Aboriginal people and come together and have our voices heard on what I said earlier about decisions that are being made on behalf of us and for us, which are going to directly affect all of us that we are not involved in. So it's about really ensuring that we are up to date with all of the policies and all of the government government's kind of work they're doing around our people and ensuring that we can come in and have that insight to what a young black fella wants to add in because somewhere down the line if it doesn't affect us directly it's going to affect our grandkids or our grandkids kids Mm. so i think our voices will need to come in to implement change for Mm. our people what are some of those issues that are important for young aboriginal people's voices to be heard thank you dodo thank you just had a lovely little little egg and is it egg and bacon sure is sure is beautiful please feel free to to go for it but i know i know you're talking yeah (laughs) you know some of those important issues you're saying uh decisions are being made uh for you without your consultation basically what are some of those issues Mm. some of the issues that i think impact Mm. us i Mm. can only speak on behalf of my experience as an aboriginal person from western sydney but i often find the increasing rates of homelessness the increasing rates of suicide the increasing rates of unemployment incarceration incarceration rates of course just opportunities in general i find that there's such a lack of where we are as as a people compared to the mainstream community Mm -hmm. society you know we're constantly playing catch-up and we're constantly trying to get our kids up to date with what everyone else is doing but I think we should be the leaders in this space like this is our country this is our land we should be the ones leading people from the front a lot of the issues stem back to what I personally think is the lack of identity the lack of connection to culture the lack of connection to to our laws and our protocols as Aboriginal people because you often find that a lot of our people aren't grounded people come to that Western Sydney Aboriginal youth network because that's their connection to young blackfellas. It's not, we don't have a place anymore to go to and I think that's where it stems from. When people are, don't, they don't feel like they belong, it's when they're going to go search for it and searching for it leads to the alcohol and drug abuse and leads to the incarceration rates and a lot of other dreadful things that our people are so used to and it's about stepping in and trying to break down them barriers. Mm. And not just one person doing it. You need, you need a mob. You need mm. people to stand beside you and want that change as well. And I know you took um, a lot of those uh, issues and particularly personally yourself with one where you went to uh, Geneva only recently uh, with Newswalk councillors and our CEO to attend the expert mechanism on the rights of Indigenous peoples. Uh, you did deliver an intervention Newswalk always does deliver interventions, etc. But you in particular, and I mean, I had a listen to uh, yours this morning, you spoke very eloquently on the issues facing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women, especially in regards to uh, domestic and family violence. The message that I wanted to convey to mm-hmm. not only the experts, but to other Indigenous people from around the world, yep. is I wanted them to be aware of the lack of equality we face as Aboriginal women. Not only are we part of the Aboriginal kind of cohort, but we're also women, which makes it, we've got the double whammy. Mm-hmm. It's quite hard to break out of that. But I really wanted to bring 
bring light to something that is so important to us as women. You know, we don't get, not that we don't get it, but there's just that lack of leadership um, representation, not only in parliamentarian positions, but also I feel in quite large positions, CEO positions or directors. Mm -hmm. And to talk about what we face as Aboriginal women, it's real, it's raw, it's, you know, the facts that I read out in the intervention, that is what we face with the assaults and with the domestic violence and with the loss of lives. It's their increasing numbers and something needs to be done about it to ensure that we have equal opportunities just as mainstream women. There's a lot of brick walls that need to be knocked down. So by raising an issue as it looking, you know, I'm sure you would have found that your, you know, compatriots from from Canada in particular, I mean, very famous for, you know, missing and murdered uh, Aboriginal women there. Did you find that there was a greater understanding or a level of understanding from the other people there that perhaps you weren't aware of? Not more so people coming up after it and kind of agreeing or yeah. seeing eye to eye on the issues. Mm. It's quite a complex and sensitive issue, I found. But yeah, just is. listening to other people's interventions, it just, I was constantly in, not awe, but just in disbelief at, at how not only do we get treated as First Nations people, but on an international scale, it's happening across the board. Like, it's just still just shocks me to my core that you know this stuff is just so real and I think it's just about sitting back and actually listening to the other women present their interventions or ask their questions to the experts or to the panel Mm. that's what really brought it to life and everyone said you know the people from Newswalk actually said you could feel the passion within the room because it's such a taboo topic in Mm. mainstream this is a cup and a yarn. I'm Michelle Alexandrovitz Lovegrove. I'm speaking with Renee Thompson about uh, Renee's uh, recent trip to Geneva, to MRIP as part of the uh, New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council Youth Advisory Committee, and going and, and, and delivering interventions there, hearing other people's interventions, but also seeing how that plays out at an international level. With the issue of domestic violence, would you agree a lot of people? don't consider that violence against a woman is also violence against any children in that family unit as well, whereas they are witnessing it or they are also subject to it. And it's male children too. So violence against women is also about violence against men because there's little boys involved too. Yeah, I think black, white, brindle across the board, it doesn't just affect the man and the woman it affects the kids whether they want to speak about it or not the kids feel it kids can experience so much even just by watching their mother or being in the presence of their mother and Mm. I think you're very right it it does it it does affect young boys it affects young girls and I often hear a lot of people say you'd prefer to have two healthy homes than one toxic home because at the end of the day the the effects are everlasting within kids it's something that's within them Mm. It's very dangerous. It's a very dangerous cycle. But when you were there as well, listening to other interventions or people who delivered them, is there a standout for you? I know the Sami people, when they go there, they're they're pretty staunch. Mm. Anything off the top of your head where you just sort of went, oh, wow, that is amazing? Probably amazing, but a lot of... (laughs) 
disbelief. Um, yeah, well, true, but in, yeah. in terms of the strength of being able to uh, consolidate very difficult issues into something that, that has a very focused line that can be delivered to the panel. I think one of the key things that I took away from the Emirate trip was it was actually in the meeting prior to Emirate starting or commencing. It was the meeting with all the uh, First Nations or Indigenous people from across the world. I hate using that word Indigenous, but that's what they use at the UN. It kills me because I can't remember where the person was from, but they just spoke about how prevalent child caging still was. Child caging? Caging, which was still happening. Hearing that, I know that that, I'll just never forget that. Just saying that still happens on a daily basis in our country. And the guy was upstanding and was getting quite agitated and was saying, this is still happening. I have been to these meetings constantly and nothing is being done about it. So just, yeah, the fact that they're still child caging. Why are they caging children? He didn't go into it. He didn't speak about it. It was just, he just said that remark and then left. And see, that plays into the whole domestic and family violence thing. It's all it's all wrapped up and there's just all these little spokes off a wheel. It's not just about someone hitting someone else. You know, it's yeah. it's so big. Yeah. Okay, all right. Your observations, your learnings from it. I mean, what, what are some of the things that you learned from that Geneva trip? The biggest takeout for me uh, would be that it wasn't that I was closed mind heading into the meeting or not that um, I didn't immerse myself in the culture of the UN, but I was a bit confused as to, you know, there's so much emphasis going on to the UN and what we can do in the UN, but then the gap between what's happening in community. Yeah, how does that translate to community? Yeah, and so that was, I had some very open and robust conversations with people from the Australian delegation. Mm -hmm. And I think my learning walking away was that it needs to be a two-pronged approach. Like you need to be working your backside off in community to try and get that change from the ground up. But then you also need to go at it on the top level. And mm. I think speaking to people over there and especially the powerful people that was over in Geneva with us, hearing what they've been working so hard for to make sure that we have been able to get a voice over there and you know a voice to, to the experts. But I'd say my biggest takeaway is that you need to ensure that whatever you're learning over in the UN, what are you bringing home to your community to try and implement that change? Mm-hmm. That's why, mm-hmm. and that's why I really want to emphasise what I'm doing in my community to make sure that we are relating to the declaration, we are sorry referencing the declaration, and we're bringing that document to life. You know, because it's something that the government adopted, and it's something that we want to be able to say, well, we're relating to self-determination and the rights to language, and really push that agenda. If someone was to say to me, you know, oh, that's good, you're going over there and doing talking first, but what are you doing back home? Mm-hmm. Well, I am trying to do stuff. I, I am doing stuff back home. It's not I'm trying. I am doing stuff back home. And my community is where my heart is. It's like I live for my community. I, I breathe for my community. I want to make sure that our people can stand up as a people. It's my actual goal f- for that leadership network is that we do become an organisation and we fund ourselves to go to the UN as a youth committee and stand up and say... Well, these are the issues that we face in our community. With change here, but we're talking about policy change, aren't we? And that's where, <laughs> you know, you, your learnings at that level, that's how you, you've got to straddle that yeah. with yeah. community. If, we, if policies have got to change. Mm. And to change policies, we need to change mindsets. That's exactly right. Okay. Any inspiring people? 
in particular that you can think of, even if you if you can't remember their names? Yeah, I met a, a chief from America, mm-hmm. one of the um, indigenous nations from over there, and we had a quite a robust conversation. He actually, Kenneth, who was one of their leaders, jumped up and spoke about. There was a real uh, issue that the lack of representation of Indigenous people at the UN, because you can't just go across and represent yourself. You have to yeah. be part of an organisation. Yeah. And he, this fellow that I was yarning to, he actually jumped up and stood in protest and refused to speak because he had a parliament back home. He was part of a parliament. He just wasn't one that wasn't approved by the UN. Okay. So I went and had a yarn to him and kind of tried to understand how they progress as a people and how mm. that kind of relates to us, but to completely different cultures. Like it's very, it was, it was quite eye-opening, but he was a very inspirational person. I'd say everyone over there, especially part of the Australian delegation, they were quite, everyone was quite open and to speak about their experiences or, you know, how they go home and try and implement change. Because the Australian delegation's pretty big, eh, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, there's a few, yeah. there's a fair few people. The Australian government with DFAT, mm-hmm. they went mm-hmm. and then obviously people from different organisations come across as well, but... We had a good barbecue and a yarn at the embassy. Yeah, which oh was good. Fun. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. And so, so was it a, a, a standard uh, Australian? Was it a Bunnings Barbie or a bit posher than that? Yeah, Bunnings Barbie is just your white bread, sausage, and tomato sauce. Oh, onion. Onion. <laughs> onion. Onion. Yes. Um, yeah, it was. I think they really tried to incorporate the Aussie culture and yeah. uh, had some lamb chops and chicken skewers. It was good. Mm. It was good yeah. feed. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. I'm glad they fed you. <laughs> we went good. <laughs> You've come back. You're working. Studies deferred for the moment. A lot going on. You've got your, your network. How are you juggling it? Mm. You still have time to be mm. Renee hanging out. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Well, on top of that, I'm also with, the, like I said, the LDM with Aboriginal Affairs and then mm. part of the committee for the... Kimberwali Centre, which is... Oh, yes, that's right. So in between all of that, but I think I get to be myself because I just go home to my mum. Like, I go into mum's house at Miller's Point mm-hmm. and just hang around my siblings and mm. they always keep me grounded, mm. make sure that I don't get too ahead of myself. And <laughs> sometimes I just have to go to mum. I just, you know, I think sometimes it gets a, a quite full on. Mm. I feel like I, I'm putting... I've got so many fingers in different pies. Sometimes it does get... Mm. quite overwhelming mm. so I think just a good yarn with mum a good debrief and she always pulls me back into line yeah that's yeah. good it's that's about good. just going ground getting grounded with my mob mm. and I guess what is it 2019 I'm thinking what year is it it's August already I know <sighs> so what's for the the rest of the year keeping up with everything but have you got any sort of strong goals because I think your, your leadership network is uh, going to be very very important mm. If we were successful with the funding, mm. that'd be something that I would want to take up as a full-time role. Yeah. So as a director of the leadership network, taking that as far as I can go, going to meetings, networking, trying to build those connections with people who we think we could work in partnership with. But that would be my main goal, is to work full-time with that, mm. or then to go back out to community. Yeah, I always feel myself running to go back to community, but that's where my home is. So I want to be able to, before anything, I just want to be able to make sure that our kids back home, not even back home, across the country, know that someone believes in them and knows that 
there are opportunities out there for you. You don't have to be defined by your environment or by what people are telling you are or that you're a statistic. It's about what we want to be as blackfellas and we are the deadliest people out there. So we should just go out there and do it. You can do